Shut up and sit down. Business Bros is your show, where small business professionals just like you come to tell their stories. This podcast is for those who understand the number one rule in business, which is to be of service to others. Learn how today's professionals generate leads, what's working on social media, what's hot and what's not, straight from the mouths of those who are out there doing the real work. And now let's welcome your hosts, Hernan C.S., the real estate bro with eXp Realty, the cloud-based brokerage where top producers reign, and James C.S., the insurance bro with Pipeline Insurance, making sure you are covered because there's a lot riding out there. And now here are the business bros. Welcome to another episode of Business Bros. Oh man, Ladies. we are way off. <laughs> it, it sounds weird because it's online, right? Usually we're in the same room. Yeah, we're usually in sync on that. Yeah, we're very in sync on that, but it's all right. No worries. Well, today we got Miss Allie Boone on the podcast. Uh, just a little recap because uh, kind of a little bit celebrity. We always tell you guys we try to bring you uh, top-notch people or at least people we consider to be top-notch. Allie's been on Fox Business News. She's been, she's been on a number of podcasts. Uh, she's the founder of Hipster Investments. She's got a master's degree in aerospace engineering and spiritual psychology. I could barely even spell those, by the way. <laughs> so impressive. Uh, and so, you know, welcome to the show, Allie. Thanks. Well, thanks for having me. And I'm pretty stoked just from your, you guys' little singing intro there. I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is about to be hardcore fun. Yeah, well, you didn't run away. So that's cool. We didn't, we didn't break <laughs> any glass or anything. So we're on a roll. Oh, the more someone should run away, I get closer. That's like, don't, <laughs> don't even tease. <laughs> well, cool. Allie, tell, you know, I, I mean, you got all kinds of, your resume is like beautifully stacked. There's so much that, that on paper, you know, people can look up uh, about you. You've been writing blogs for a while, your number of podcasts, you have all these different things, but tell me about Allie. Who's Allie aside oh. from that stuff? That's a good question. Uh, when you find out, let me know. <laughs> people, people will catch me and they're like, Oh, what do you do? And I'm like, um, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't have an elevator speech. Um, who am I? I, uh, the short of me is that I grew up in Georgia. So I was a Southerner. I was, uh, kind of what I've deemed to be a left brain math nerd. I was I, like, I got the engineering degree. I was flying airplanes before that. Um, I was really just kind of living the traditional life of, you know, go to school, get good grades, go to college, get a secure job and all is well. And, um, then I took a job transfer with my engineering job to California and little did I know that was going to completely transform my whole world. Uh, I stuck with the engineering job for a little while longer. And then I left to start my own company and everything then kind of changed. Like entrepreneurship really just changed everything. And that's kind of why I'm still learning about myself because there's so much that I've learned about myself in this process that I just didn't even know was a thing. And so it's a really interesting exploration. I got the second master's degree in spiritual psychology because, you know, I actually only did that. Talk about running from things that sound terrifying. Uh, I just thought it'd be funny to say I had degrees in aerospace engineering and spiritual psychology because I'll, <laughs> I'll do anything to raise an eyebrow. <laughs> and, that uh, is literally <laughs> such a great little inside joke. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it's literally why I started the degree, but it turned out what I wasn't expecting is how much I would like it. And it was also a kind of a 
journey. It was a degree, but it was a journey in itself of learning more about myself. And out of that, the coolest thing that I do these days that I don't even know if it's on my little resume thing is I spend a ton of time in prisons. And I, the work that I learned in that degree, I take and I work with the inmates doing the exact same thing. So, you know, for being the little um, Georgia Southerner math nerd gone, like California, you know, you can call me woo woo hippie all you want. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a bit of a ride for sure. So as far as who I am, I'm just, I'm adventurous. I like to have fun. My only goal is to be happy. I don't care about, uh, the financial success or any of that, like whatever it takes for me to be happy. That's kind of where all of this comes out of and like, what's going to make me happier and what's, you know, how do I maintain what's making me happy now? And, you know, so just kind of live in life. You listen to a lot of Abraham Hicks, don't you? You know, I uh, used to follow them a little more, but to be honest, I really suck at big words, and they use a lot of big words. <laughs> <laughs> there's, uh, and there's some interesting things about their messages, but yeah, I, uh, I actually don't follow a lot of the spiritual gurus. There's a couple that I kind of read, and I've read a lot of books and all that, but somehow I have not, I think it's because their words are too big, to be totally honest. It's, have you um, written your own book? Or are you, is that something in the works maybe? Well, I have my own, my first book is with the publisher right now, but it's a real estate book. So my company was in, is in real estate investing. And so my very first book, even though I wanted to write about a bunch of other stuff is going to be on real estate investing just to really kind of get my foot in the door as far as writing. But I really, writing books is really what I want to be doing. So I have no idea what future books after the real estate one will look like, but I think it'll be fun either way. So let's let's dig a little bit deeper since since uh you know a lot of people see uh success but they only see the tip of the iceberg you know they don't yeah. really get to see where it is that you came from so i mean we got a little bit of background of what did you do before but what was it what was it like for for Ali growing up was it was it a struggle did you have to overcome certain things did any of that kind of push you into the direction you wanted to go what was it like growing up for you no, it was actually, um, you know, my, I grew up pretty, pretty well off. I always say I won the ovarian lottery. My parents are great. They're still together after God only knows how many decades. Um, you know, I was well supported as a kid and I really had not endured financial success. Uh, the one thing about me as a kid is based on my family and everything else, I really could have been hanging out with, um, what do you call them? Like, not the higher end people, but you know, not the rich kids, but you know, the, the more, more affluent. Yeah. The more affluent. That's it. Um, I had that opportunity, but I really never, I've never liked any of that. Like I I'm in my gym clothes right now and I say that I'm dressed up. Like I don't do, uh, <laughs> I don't do fancy. I don't dig a lot of the things that come with those kind of lifestyles. I just really, I'm, my biggest focus is I'm all about the realness. That's why I like hanging out in the prison so much because everyone can kind of just put their stuff out on the table. And so I really didn't, I don't know. I was pretty rebellious as a kid. I got really good grades, but I, in high school, I hung out with either people much older than me. Most of them had been in jail or even like my boyfriend at the time had gone to jail right after he met my parents. That went over really well. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I just, I really kind of hung out with the rebels. I was a big rebel. And then, but what was interesting is my family, um, my aunt has always been a huge investor. My dad, my dad and aunt, their siblings, they come from my grandpa, who was a huge entrepreneur investor. And so when I started getting into this world, I thought I was going to have bukus of support. Like, oh yeah, like this isn't my family. And 
it, after a while of no help from any of them, I started getting kind of frustrated. I was like, Hey guys, I'm clearly trying to meet a goal here. Like, hello, you have businesses. Like, can you help? And they made a really good point. They said, my grandfather had done all that, but he had already passed away. So they ended up inheriting most of that stuff. And they said, we have the businesses, but we have no idea how to get a business because we didn't have to get it. It just showed up. So their only skills were really in running the business. And so with me trying to figure out how to start a business and figure out how to get out of corporate and all that, I was really left on my own as if I didn't come from that family. And, you know, when I started the business, I quit my corporate job and I went skunk broke and I ended up on food stamps, the whole shebang. So, you know, if you look at my upbringing and family, it shouldn't have been that <laughs> treacherous, but <laughs> But I'm actually glad it is because I know um, other people in my family, like cousins and all that, they were, for lack of a better phrase, they were pretty well funded by their parents. And I was always kind of envious of that. And what I realized later, though, is that I needed to go broke and I needed to dig myself out of that in order to learn how well, how to do it, but also how to appreciate it and how to help other people do it and really kind of go through the rites of passage of entrepreneurship. and. So in hindsight, hindsight's always a lot easier. Um, I'm glad that I was stuck in those positions. So yeah, it was, it was a rude awakening because I thought the challenge was going to be starting the business, but it was really a lot more of the mental sanity roller coaster that I was enduring because I had never been broke before. I had never not known where my next grocery payment was coming from or rent payment. And yeah, it was, it was quite an emotional roller coaster. I didn't, I wasn't even really in touch with emotions before all this, but I had to learn them pretty fast. So, so yeah, yeah that, that's that's definitely interesting because we we talk to a lot of realtors and uh, on our show and and a lot of them go through that struggle right they jump in be, they think that you know hey a commission is going to be like you know ten ten thousand dollars we're here in San Diego fifteen thousand dollars no problem uh, all I got to do is get my real estate license and I'm I'm set and then they find out you know four months five months six months ten months and they haven't closed the transaction <laughs> right they're like sure I'm hungry <laughs> yeah it's getting a little tough here. Uh, tell me, tell me a little bit more about what it was like, you know, when you were at the bottom, when you were really struggling, what, what types of things kept you going? What types of things, you know, got you to wake up in the morning and keep going? What was it like at the bottom? Uh, other than stressful and hungry, um, the two things that really kept me going, number one, my biggest why is freedom. Like I crave freedom. I have to have freedom. I, I joke that I drive a stick shift car in LA because I don't even like my transmission telling me when I'm going to shift. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to answer to anybody. I don't want to have to be anywhere at a certain time. Like I just live for freedom. And so that drive alone kept me in it because it was my only option. Like if I gave up, I was going to lose all that freedom. So that was part of it. And then the other part that really kind of helped me was leading up to it. I spent about five years while I still had my corporate job trying to plan for this and trying to figure out how I was going to do it. And I was reading tons of books and I found some authors I really resonated with. And they had talked about a lot of things of essentially what to expect. Like you're going to go broke. You're going to have a freak out. You're going to have a great whatever happening and then you're going to crash and all these things are normal. So it didn't take away from the impact of those things when they happened, but, but because I knew they were part of the process, I knew I was on the right track because I feel like if I hadn't been warned about them, I might've thought I was steering off track somehow, but knowing that those were part of the process and knowing that successful people had already, you know, they warned me and said, this is exactly how this is going to happen. 
I was able to know that I was on the right track and then just keep driving and driving and hope to God that it all worked out. <laughs> yeah, that that's definitely one of those big things is, is you just got to have that faith that everything is yeah. going to work out. So, yeah. you know, when, when you're, when you are at the bottom, when you are struggling, what, how do you know you're on the right path? Like, what, is there anything that you were, <laughs> that you were doing that you just kind of knew like, okay, but yeah. How did you know you were on the right path uh, that you were doing the right thing? Uh, I don't know that I ever actually knew that. Um, I think the one thing that I kept noticing was month to month, I never knew where my next rent payment was going to come from, but somehow it always worked out. Like I never ended up missing a rent payment, a couple, maybe utility bills or something. I would kind of have to just skip or conveniently forget, but my rent payment always showed up, whether it be from a totally mysterious place or, you know, something. And that was kind of a cue to me to stick with it because I felt like if I was on the wrong track, this, that wouldn't have been happening. Yeah. That's, that's always one of those, uh, uh, things that you, you always worry about some of those, you know, where am I going to live? What am I going to eat? You know, can I, can I wear clean clothes? Those types of things are, are definitely things that, that keep us going. And if at least that's done, yeah. then I guess, yeah, you're in the right direction. Yeah. And I was fortunate. I, I could have cared less if I was wearing clean clothes. <laughs> <laughs> so and yeah. I remember the first few, uh, in the first at least year I was so excited about, I was doing all the work. Like I started forgetting to shower cause I wasn't even leaving the house. And I was like, Oh, wake up and work and then work till late. And then a few days would go by. I'm like, Ooh, I've been missing something. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you, you got to a point where you were at 18 million in real estate investment sales right? How, how did you know that, okay, this is going to work? Like you, you've gotten yourself a little bit out of the, uh, the poverty era and now you're like, okay, this is working. This is getting there. Well, did and we actually didn't make the 18 million. We facilitated the 18 million, uh, just in full transparency. Um, but we, so here's what I did. Um, I never really knew, I think the very first year I only made like $27,000. I think it was like, it was pretty bad, especially for living in LA. Um, and at the beginning of that year, when my full blown kind of panic was setting in of, Oh, I don't like, I seriously might not be able to eat. And the way that I worked around my mind on that one was to set it up like an experiment. I, I made it a mind experiment and I said, okay, I'm going to give myself one year to try to do everything I can. And if at the end of that year, it's not working, then I'll consider other options, whether it's going back to my corporate job or I'll assume at that point, I'm not on the right track. And so the first year went by and I got to my deadline, December 31st or whatever it was, and things had started to pick up. Like it seemed, you know, the, in the beginning of the year, I might've had a closing. I mean, they may have been four months apart or more or something, but by the end of that year, things had really kind of like, I could feel the momentum and I could feel things were shifting. So I said, okay, well, I'm at my year and I don't think I should stop everything, but you know, I haven't made it either. And so I extended the experiment deadline another six months. I was like, let's make it another six months and just see where we are at the end of the six months. And so I actually kept that going for a while. And every time I made the deadline, I, you know, things were getting better. They were picking up. And by, I think it was maybe year 
2003, I feel like it was the first time that my salary had surpassed what I was making at corporate. And for me, that was a huge milestone. Like that's when I really sat back and I was like, Hey, I think I just did something right because I was still working in my pajamas. I was sleeping in, I was on my own schedule. I had the freedom and now I had just officially made more than my high paid job, my corporate engineering job. And so that was really, you know, that was for me, that was, that was, that was it. I was in and, you know, I, cause leading up to that, it's like, well, I could be making more corporate and, you know, you just don't know, but I feel like now I'm living my dream life and I've made more than my corporate job. I'm in like, I am so in. So you know, that was, that was really it, but it was, it was kind of, I never knew in one moment what, what was working or what wasn't, or if it was working, it was more of just kind of a day by day, like, let's see where we are type of thing. Well, I am very envious of the, uh, sleep in and, uh, <laughs> I'm <telling> you, <laughs> relaxing. I love yeah. that thought. I and- feel like a terribly lazy, uh, just lazy person even admitting it. But, and you know, I don't sleep in until 2 PM. I, every couple of years I might have an all day in bed type of thing, but like I wake up when my body wants to wake up and I'll tell you what, I really think that might be the single biggest joy of my life. <laughs> like yeah. I don't, it's almost hard to you know explain. Like, I go to bed late and to just know that I can just, and then I kind of lay in bed and then I'll start to, you know, check up on some emails. Sometimes I'll watch an episode of my soap opera. Like I'm not a morning person. I never have been. And so to have that freedom in the mornings, I really, you know, I do a lot of really cool stuff and adventurous stuff and I cool travels and all that. But on a consistent basis, that right there is, I think why I do this truly. I don't think I could ever wake up early on a Monday morning again. And and it's funny because if people, a lot of real estate agents get into the business because they want that freedom, because yeah. they want the ability to, you know, start when they want to stop when they want to. Yeah. And, and common coaching for stuff like that is you need to put yourself on a schedule. And, yeah. and it, it, I mean, I'd imagine, I mean, you tell me when you work, you work, yeah. but you start when you, when you decide to start. Yeah. Well, and I'm an, I have an advantage because I'm a real estate agent, but I only deal with investment properties and everything I do is online. So that's a huge contrast to a normal, like I'm in LA, if a normal LA real estate agent, they're going to have a lot, you know, they're going to have to do property showings. You know, most agents have things that they need to be physically present for. And I know last year, um, some partners and I bought a duplex close to me in Venice beach. And for the first time ever, I went against everything I've ever preached and I am landlording that property. And when we bought that property, I swear to God, I had to wake up so many, so many days early. I was not happy because I'd have to meet the contractor or meet the rodent guy or the termite, you know, like, oh, my those way of sleeping. On, I'm like, oh, this is messing up my sleeping in. This is why I don't do this. <laughs> so, but, you know, for normal real estate agents, the thing that people need to understand is yes, you get a lot of freedom, but especially if you're a normal real estate agent, the key to being able to really exercise that freedom is at some point along the line, you're going to have to outsource. And that's a lot of why, like I can work whatever hours I want because I have no deadlines, but like I can disappear for a week and travel because I have people working for me who hold up the ship while I'm gone. And that's the key. Like, yes, you get the freedom. One of my best friends out in LA, she's a real estate agent and I hear her schedule. I'm like, Ooh, I mean, she 
kind of gets, she gets to make her own schedule, but because of everything that's required, she kind of doesn't. And she works a lot of weekends showing properties or open houses or whatever. And that's all fine and great. And if that's what you do, cool. But to really get that freedom, you're going to have to get people to work for you at some point because they need to be the ones doing that. Otherwise you're not sleeping in at all. So how would you define something that needs to be outsourced? Well, so in my case, um, you know, and this is going to be different for everybody. What I tell people, I think the best course of action, when I first started my business, I was doing everything on my own, the website, the emailing, the designs that you name it. It was me. And I wish I'd had a screenshot of the old website. You would, it'd be very obvious. I had been doing it. <laughs> it was, I would give anything to be able to see that website right now. Um, but what I did is I did everything and I would watch for things that were taking up too much of my time from other important things that someone else could do for me. So one of the first people I ever hired, the first two people I ever hired was first of all, a web guy. Um, I have a funny story as to why that happened, but it taught me the value of outsourcing. So I immediately got a web guy and then I got someone to help me with email. So like, if you reach out on my company's site right now, you're gonna get a response from Melissa. You're not gonna hear back from me because what I found because where I was, I was writing blogs and I got a lot of attention really fast. And for the first couple months, I was responding to every email that I got as if it was going to be a paying client. And because I thought I was naive, I thought everybody was going to buy. So I had to respond to a certain degree and it turned out they were all just saying hi and you know, and it was great. And I appreciate it. But I was literally emailing from the minute I woke up to the minute I went to bed all the while doing nothing else for my company. I was just emailing with probably 95% of people who were never actually going to buy or put a dime in my pocket. So I hired Melissa. Um, she's been with me for years um, and she's fantastic if you happen to talk to her, but um, she does all the initial email filtering. So that way I only have to tend to um, either questions she can't answer or higher level situations or whatever it is. But for the most part, I'm not the one doing all the communication. So those were the two big pivotal points when I got the website guy and when I got Melissa, because then without having to worry about the website and without having to worry about the emails, when that's most of my job, I could go back to the innovative part of the business. Like, how am I going to build this business? How, you know, I could do the big picture things, the visionary stuff. Um, you know, who else do I need to hire? What other, you know, I was really able to go to a different level of thinking versus being stuck down in the weeds. So you know, I did, uh, last year I was doing some business consulting and I actually worked with a real estate agent. She's up in Alaska and she was just drowning. Like she was getting more things put on her to-do list than she could get anything off of this to-do list. So I worked with her really hard and we really, we wrote out every task that she does in a day. I mean, down to the nitty gritty. And I worked with her to identify what, which ones of these are absolutely which ones is it imperative that you do anything involving your personality or whatever? Like you can't get someone to replicate your personality, but you know, as far as it was admin stuff, it was filing her closings, you know, these things like we got her a mix of virtual assistants. We got her a physical assistant in the office. And that way, all of those things that, that could be done by someone else were taken care of. And she could get back to not only doing what she you know, growing the business, but doing the things that she loved. Those are, those were the only things left that she needed to take care of. Cause she was starting to hate her job. She's really good, a very successful agent, 
but she was starting to hate life because she was stuck with all these things that she hated and they were taking time from everything else. So, you know, it's a little bit of a, I think one place that people go wrong in business is they try and outsource too quickly. And I think you have to outsource, you, you have to feel it out. Like you really need to do the work and see what work actually has to be done because people try and outsource too soon when they don't actually realize where the need is. And so if you can take the time to identify where the need is, then you can outsource, you know, as it comes up. And so for me, you know, I got Melissa and the web guy in the, I don't know, maybe six months into the business or so. And then maybe six or so months later, I got a little help here on something. I hired somebody else over here. You know, it was really, it was a building. It was probably two years at least of really trying to build a team, but I only did it when the actual need presented itself. So that, that I think is very important. Yeah, that's, it's, it's definitely something you need to understand the difference between like delegating versus abdicating, right? Where you exactly. kind of just want to disappear out of the process where you in, in a situation where you can't disappear out of the process. That's the yeah. part that, that actually yeah. brings in the revenue. That's the part where you're in front of the client. Yeah. And for me, those parts were number one, you know, figuring out how to grow the business and that kind of stuff that has to be me. But then a lot of my business in the beginning was I was writing these blogs. That's what I was known for. And I realized that the one thing I can't outsource is my voice. Like, you know, I get people to talk generally my style, but the blogs, people were, um, they were attaching to them because it was my voice. And so after I'd outsourced just about everything else, the innovation of the company was still on my uh, list and writing because I just couldn't get somebody to write for me. So it's really, you know, and I wouldn't have known that had I tried to outsource too soon. I, I never would have known that. So it's, it's really about finding the things that you have to do yourself. There's no way around it. But anything that you can have someone else do, that's, that's where you have to go if you want the freedom component. Right. And it, it's, it really comes down to understanding what you're worth, right? What your time yeah. is really worth because I mean, it re- you're six months in, so I'm assuming you were still struggling at that time to, you yeah. know, pay your rent and things like that. So if you're taking money off of your plate to pay somebody to do something, it's because you're giving your time to something that's going to generate more revenue. Yeah. And you know, I'll, the, I said there was a funny story about my web guy. I'll tell you the story just because it, it, is an example of exactly what you're saying. So keep in mind, I started my business. I had been an engineer, a pilot. Both of those translate into total control freak. Like I was very, (laughs) (laughs) I was, I was a very capable person, but I was also a control freak. And so, you know, anyone starting a new business, you're going to most likely want to be doing everything yourself. Number one, because you're probably a control freak too. But number two, because you don't have the money to pay people. So here I am struggling through doing the website. I was actually terrible at websites and I'll never forget. It was a Friday and it was a, I don't know, like 2 PM or something Friday afternoon when in theory my weekend should be happening. And I had this ever so small glitch with the website. I don't remember what it was, but it was this tiny little thing, but it was, it was big enough to make a difference. And I spent seven hours in front of the computer trying to solve this problem on my own. And seven hours later, I had just met this web guy. Like we hadn't even done work together. I had just kind of inquired about maybe I was going to need web help. And I reached out to him and I said, you know, Hey, I probably, you know, you're probably not gonna be able to help me with this, but just out of curiosity, here's this problem I have. I've been in front of the computer for seven hours. Um, you know, can you help? 
So before I tell you the conclusion of this, one thing I learned is really to figure out what the value of your time is. And I had decided at that time that I, if I, someone were to hire me to do something in my skill set, that I should be paid $75 an hour. That's why I had decided my worth to be. So if you take that $75 an hour and you multiply it by seven, I don't even know what that is, but it's a good chunk of money. <laughs> so, so I had just essentially spent seven times $75, whatever that is. So back to the web guy, he responds pretty quickly. And at the time he had just gone into business for himself. He was in Romania. He was a virtual assistant. He was literally charging $12 an hour for web work. He solved my problem in a minute and a half, one minute and 30 seconds. He solved the thing that I had been struggling for, for seven hours times $75, whatever that is. So I paid him like, I don't know, what's a minute and a half of an hour. <laughs> like I paid him, I don't know, like a dollar or $2 or, you know, it was less than $5 that I paid this guy to solve the problem that I had just spent seven hours on. So when you actually break the math down of that, the less than $5 solution versus the, what is $525, $525. (laughs) Like, you know, and that was really only valuing my worth at $75. I wasn't even talking about what money I could have made in that time. You know, it's just so opportunity cost or whatnot. Yeah. And I had heard this whole value of your time and all that nonsense, but it wasn't until that day that I saw the math. And I was like, wow, I just spent $525 on what could have cost me less than $5. And, and I didn't have any headaches when he solved it. I had given myself (laughs) a headache. I had wasted my whole Friday afternoon. I was grouchy. I ended up not going out that night. You know, this whole thing when I could have paid less than $5 for it to all be fixed and fixed to a better quality than I could have done it. And from that moment on, I have never looked back as far as outsourcing. And I also remember um, once the company started making money, I'll never forget the first year that I had paid really all my employees there. You know, I had spent a whole year paying people to do all of this work. And I saw how much I paid them that year. Well, the next year for the first few years, my income kept tripling. The year after that, my income tripled and yet I paid the exact same amount to the employees. And that was the other math thing, I was like, wait a minute, if I pay the employees the same amount every year, but my income keeps tripling, I think that's huge. Like, that's a winner. Yeah. That's how it works. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. And you know, it's like, and so that, you know, it really is, I, I say all of those ramblings to really emphasize the point because I realize how hard it is to see, like, you can understand the concept of the value of your time all day long, but it can be very hard to get yourself to implement it or to outsource, even if you know it. And so those math, the math on both of those situations really taught me exactly what I had been reading and learning and understanding. And that changes everything. And you have to be able to understand that and go with it if you want to get to the freedom component. Oh, 100%. One of the very first businesses we owned was a computer repair company. Yeah. And sometimes we'd show up to somebody's home and we'd, it would take five minutes to fix a problem and we'd yeah. feel bad walking away, making you know, 100, 150 bucks. And I yep. remember my dad told me one time, he's like, look, 
they didn't charge you $150 to push a button. They yeah. charged you, you, they paid $150 to know which button it was that you needed to push. Exactly. And so, you know, and, and I, you know, seeing it from the other side, like I understand now why, you know, making sure outsourcing and getting those things done by somebody else who actually knows what they're doing saves you an abundant amount of time. And, and you're right. 525 to five bucks yeah. is a big difference. <laughs> yeah. And if you don't want to get totally wild with it. So in the book that I have coming out, I have a chapter called the three currencies. And one of the biggest things I learned around all of this is in my opinion, there's three currencies that we all have and use in order to get things money obviously we all know that's the first one but the two that people don't think about are time and sanity so if i'm going to save if i want something and i want to go really cheap on it there's a good chance that i'm going to spend more in time and time and or sanity in order to save on the money or in a lot of cases the things that i do i'm willing to spend more money in order to not pay so much in time and sanity and that's been my biggest learning like even when i was a kid i wanted to be a multi-gajillionaire like that was my goal and what i realized very quickly is that that's no longer my goal because time and sanity for me are worth so much more than a dollar and so mm -hmm. if it comes down to what am I going to pay in to get that thing that I want, sometimes I'll save the money. And, you know, like if it's something I'm good at or whatever, and I can do it on my own, I'm not going to lose any sanity over it. Or if I lose the time over it, maybe I enjoy it anyways. But if I'm possibly going to sacrifice time and sanity, you know, like what's the balance between those things? And I just like your, I love that example that your dad said is it is a profound thing of you're not paying $150 for that person to push the button. You're paying $150 to keep your time in sanity. Yes, <laughs> like, absolutely. That's, that's how that currency works. And I, you know, it's, it's like a mystery nobody talks about. Well, Ali, we're rounding the bin on time here. So I want, I want to give you the floor, reach out to our listeners, um, let them know how, you know, what, can they do to bring some value to you and then tell us a little bit about your book I, I don't know if you have a date yet coming out or or you know anything no, like that but it's in uh, round two with the publishers of editing so I would imagine it should be coming out maybe by the end of March April at the latest I would think um, but you know honestly the best thing that anyone can give me is a reach out and say hello and I, I got out of engineering because I like talking to people and engineers, I couldn't get them to talk back very much. <laughs> um, so, you know, I love meeting like-minded people. I do a lot of stuff. I do the real estate investing stuff. I work with passive income investing. I do, like I said, I did some consulting last year. I, you know, I really am in a place in life now where I'm set enough to really be able to explore what things I want to be doing, be doing right now. And I would love for anyone who thinks that I could help them in some way to reach out and let me know what that would be, because that's, that's what I want to find right now is what are people missing? What information do they want? You know, what help can I offer them and via what means? So honestly, that would be the coolest thing ever for any of your folks to reach out and just, you know, let me know what they need help with. And maybe I can help them. Even if I can't, I have a lot of resources. I love playing matchmaker and, you know, I've, I'm happy to help anyone in any way I can. So that's what anybody listening could do for me. And the best way to do that is to email me directly, Allie, A-L-I, at hipsterinvestments.com. You can go to Hipster's website. It's just hipsterinvestments.com. Subscribe to our newsletter. If you're subscribed to our website, I promise you we don't blast you with obnoxious stuff all the time. It's just like good stuff. Um, 
but you'll for sure get the notice about the book there. Like once we have a date, we'll announce it there. And yeah, I'm on, I actually just got my first Facebook page ever. Um, oh, well, welcome like to social ago. media. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what, 14 years late to the party. I, I don't know. I like to make a grand entrance. Um, <laughs> so if you, uh, search me on Facebook, I have a page and a profile, whatever that means. Um, follow me on those. You'll hear about the book there. You'll hear, you'll see all of my endeavors. Um, yeah, but like I said, don't hesitate to reach out. So I, I love meeting people and definitely let me know you found me on this podcast. And so I can give, you know, credit where credit is due, but yeah, I reach out. They're going to shout out to you and say business bros. Oh, I honestly, if people want to do that, I'll record it and we could even have a contest or something like <laughs> I, I we could have some fun with that for sure. And if I, the more I get sung to or sang to or whatever the word would be, <laughs> that would make my day. So yeah, bring it on. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks for being on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Thanks for digging deep because I know sometimes, you know, going into uh, the past isn't always as pleasant as the present or the future, but uh, thanks for digging deep there. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for great questions. <laughs> hey, right. I just want to say really quickly, uh, it was really, really good information. Uh, we always talk about practical and tactical, and I really love the way that you broke it down of when to uh outsource when to call in uh that that assistance and yeah. the stories that you told with that um really really great stuff i really appreciate awesome. all of it yeah you bet. i love that practical and tactical i i've heard so many cool phrases today i've never heard before <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> how many times can i use that this week <laughs> what can we say? we're walking cliches <laughs> <laughs> i like it <laughs> all right guys if you guys have any questions Turn on at csfirst.com or you can reach James for insurance needs, uh, James at csfirst.com or our social media platforms as Business Bros Pod. And make sure you reach out to Allie per email, Allie at hipsterinvestments.com. That's all we got yeah. for you guys today. Peace. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And I'm out. Thank you for listening to the Business Bros Podcast. Are you interested in being on the show? Are you looking to sell your home or have a business that needs insurance? Reach out to the Business Bros via email, businessbros at csfirst.com right now, or click on the link in the show notes. Thank you for listening. And remember to subscribe and share the podcast with the business professionals who you think would benefit from the show.